This is the Making Waves podcast with Ripple Effect. My name is Dave Rotman, and I'm here with District 25 representative John Hansen. Welcome, John. Hey, Dave. How are you? Doing very well, thanks. Thanks for being on. Hey, thanks for having me. Now, you've been a leader in education choice for years, and I just saw a tweet that you sent out this morning about the outcomes in schools not being favorable, not being good. Well, yeah. Well, first of all, on educational choice, I just think it's important that families can choose the best education option that works best for their student. I think education should be focused on students and not systems. And so that's why I'm a big proponent of education choice. Uh, yeah, I put up a tweet just a couple days ago uh, talking about some of the performance uh, metrics from our public schools. And I got to say, I mean, the results are concerning when only 51% of our students are proficient in English language arts. That's not good, that's a failing grade. Only 43% are proficient in math and only 42% are proficient in science. And sadly, tragically, it gets even worse if you look at our native students. Among our native student population, only 21% are proficient in English and 12% in math and 13% in science. and I just think that is an absolutely horrific tragedy that is unfolding right before our eyes. And when I think about, okay, what is the point of our K through 12 system? And a lot of people, a lot of conversation around peer, let's say, is, well, we need to prepare these kids for college or the workforce. Well, those numbers are reported in the state data as well. And only 50% of the kids that we are graduating are prepared for the college and for workforce. I mean, we're just looking at the raw numbers here, mm -hmm. you know, and there's a lot that goes into it. Uh, but the reality is they're failing marks. And so we need to look at actual solutions to bring these scores up. You know, the legislature uh, just increased uh, funding to public education by 7%. I supported that increase. Mm -hmm. I think uh, it's important that we adequately fund our schools. And I've always supported our schools. But at some point, throwing more money at the same problem and expecting a different result isn't the answer. It's not working right now. And so I think we better get um, real serious real quick about how we can reform the system to actually bring up some of these results. You've brought uh, several bills over the years, and uh, this year, didn't you? You brought one, uh, HB 1234. Uh, tell us about that. Did yeah, it, that's right. What happened to it? Yeah. Um, so 1234 was a voucher bill that I brought this legislative session, and that would have allowed families financial freedom to choose the education option that works best for them. In this case, it was whether that's a, a public school or a non-public school. But it would have allowed families to, you know, use some of the tax dollars that they're paying in to the system mm -hmm. uh, and actually have the money follow the student. Because the reality is, in many cases, public school works for, for kids. And that's great. And if uh, public school works for your family, by all means, let's send the kids there and let's get them the best education outcome that we can. But that's not the case for everybody. And sometimes a non-public option is better for that family. And we should wanna just support those options and let families have the financial freedom uh, to choose one of those options. In some families, homeschooling is the best option for that family. And if that's the case, great, let's do the homeschooling option. So House Bill 1234 was really uh, to say, let's just have the money follow the student. This is a, a wave that's happening all across this country 
because as time goes on, more and more states realize that educational freedom is a great thing for families. And so you see it in Iowa. Uh, Governor Kim Reynolds really pushed it over there. You see it in Arkansas. You saw it in Arizona. I think Florida is uh, expanding school choice options. This is just something that's uh, happening all across the country. And it's time that it happens here as well. I mean, if we can bring a, a bill that can actually increase these outcomes for these students, I think that's really what we should do. I think it's a worthy investment, and that's why I brought House Bill 1234. There are several new small private schools in, in South Dakota. I've noticed that there's been an increase you know, over the past couple of years. It's notable. Yeah, absolutely. And you see homeschool co-ops across the yeah. state as well, and they're great. And you look at the outcomes at, at, at some of those non-public schools or in these homeschool families, and these kids are excelling. They're bright. They're patriotic. Their testing scores are good. And, um, you know, it's those sorts of options that we just need to open up to families. Unfortunately, what's frustrating in peer is that every time we bring something that's just a little outside the box, whether it's uh, House Bill 1234, voucher system, whether it was the governor's Senate Bill 100, which was a stronger family scholarship program for uh, mm -hmm. children in foster care. Um, every time we bring a bill like that, even going back further in other legislative sessions where we had a bill to help uh, homeschooling families and those opportunities, the public school lobby lines up and works very, very hard against those bills. And you know, I think more and more people, as they see that, are just increasingly frustrated by the fact that the public school lobby really isn't invested in other um, education opportunities. They're not interested in making sure that these kids have the best opportunity. Instead, they just want them in the public school. And I don't think that's a good educational model. And if we're really going to look at ways that we can uh, better education in South Dakota, I think we need to expand opportunities for families. They're protecting their industry. I think that's also true. Fair enough. So other bills that uh, came up this this year that uh, you want to discuss, one one uh, act to create a Center for American Exceptionalism, that was an education bill. Yeah, it? that was a great bill that was brought by Representative Scott Odenbach. He's from out in Lawrence County. Mm -hmm. This was another bill that would have created a, a Center for American Exceptionalism. I think if you look all over this country, these uh, uh, some of these ideas, some of these more woke leftist ideas that are invading the education system, I don't think that they're teaching kids to love their country anymore. I don't think patriotism is necessarily seen as a virtue. And I think the Center for American Exceptionalism would have sort of fostered that mentality in our in our school system. And of course, that, you know, that was another example where the, the public education lobby came in and opposed that bill. Um, I think that was a mistake. I think it would have been a great opportunity, but the public education system opposed that bill. There were several uh, bills involving cultural issues in education, you know, like Luton's lascivious bills and uh, obscene materials. Could you tell us a little bit about those? Yeah, absolutely. One of those was also my bill. I, I brought a bill to try to prevent obscene materials from getting in the hands of young children where it's just mm -hmm. age inappropriate. Mm -hmm. Um, to be giving little second or first graders these pornographic materials that we're seeing in some of our libraries, even in South Dakota. I, I spoke with families from all over the state and they would bring these books and they brought the books before the committee mm -hmm. uh, to show, you know, wow, this is really like smut porn uh, 
really age inappropriate. The problem is there's no review at the front end. The, so the public school, school lobby, they came in and they said, we've got this handled. Don't worry about it. We have a policy in place. I've heard that before. Uh, yeah. Well, and you just maybe read the Argus story just a couple of days ago where it, it seemed to me like there was some sort of boasting like, okay, no materials have been removed from the public libraries uh, as a result of uh, parental complaints following their policy. And I just think if you're going to have some sort of policy in place, the review should really take place on the front end. You know, it should be the responsibility of that school to say, no, uh, pornographic materials are not age appropriate for little kids. But instead, the books get into the library and then it takes a parent to have to complain about it before anything's ever done about it. So that was another bill that the education lobby opposed. That bill died in committee. But that issue is not going away. I mean, there's parents from all over the state who are just shocked and appalled at some of the stuff that they're seeing in their in their school curriculum and in the libraries. And and uh, we really need to do something about that to make sure that uh, materials are really just age appropriate for these kids. Mm -hmm. uh, another bill that came um, that was a, a representative car bill. That bill would have prevented uh, taxpayer funding of lewd and lascivious events. And if you look at the definition of lewd and lascivious under the law, it is, it, it is extreme. I mean, this has to be some really graphic stuff. Mm -hmm. And yet again, clearly uh, defined. Yes, clearly defined in statute. I mean, they want to say that it's gray, but if you look at the definitions uh, under the law of what has to be done to uh, sort of like be lewd and lascivious under the law, it's extreme stuff. It's stuff that I think most people would agree shouldn't be happening, especially shouldn't be taxpayer funded. And that's what we're talking mm. about, taxpayer funded lewd and lascivious events. Well, once again, the public education lobby came in and opposed that. So I just think there needs to be a little more awareness to what some of these public education lobbyists are opposing, even going back to fairness in women's sports, you know, which is very agreeable, it seems. I mean, not amongst people on the left, but very <laughs> agreeable that uh, boys should play in boys sports and girls should play in girls sport. And yet even on that issue, the public education lobby came in and opposed House Bill 1217, which is the first bill that that dealt with that issue. So and uh, homeschool bills, same thing, same thing with homeschool bill. Yeah, we, we had a bill that maybe this was now three years ago, that really sort of streamlined the homeschool process opened up a few opportunities for mm -hmm. homeschool families. And in that case, too, the public education lobby came in and opposed that. So I think there needs to be more awareness about their lobbying efforts out in peer. I don't think families back at home realize that the public education lobby is resisting bills to keep porn out of the hands of young kids and uh, keep taxpayer funding from going to lewd and lascivious events. But that's what's happening. The public school lobby is going in and opposing bills to protect taxpayers and kids from those sorts of things. So I just think that needs to be put out there a little more in the public. Same with the, the performance metrics. You know, again, I, I understand there's a lot of difficulty that comes with educating children there's a lot of factors that go into it whether it's broken homes or you know different levels of developmental abilities and uh, those sorts of things but we really need to take a hard look at some of those statistics and really ask ourselves what are we doing and how can we up those numbers because i think leaving half of our students 
in a place where they're not prepared for college or the workforce is not a good result for the kids of the state of South Dakota. Another issue that you've been heavily involved with has been life issues. So your involvement with the Life Defense Fund, and you're very active with that right now. There's uh, there's something going on. So could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, well, uh, sadly, the far left is trying to amend the South Dakota Constitution to make South Dakota a sanctuary state for abortion. Right now, petition circulators are out on the streets and they're asking uh, South Dakotans to sign their petition. And if that petition is signed and placed on the ballot, we could have legalized abortion through all nine months of pregnancy. Um, this seems far-fetched, but it's really true. I mean, this is a change to the Constitution, which would not be able to be changed by the legislature. It would, it would take out all the laws currently on the books. Right, exactly. I mean, you, you read the, the language and it basically prevents all state regulation in the first trimester and virtually all state regulation in the second trimester. And so you're talking about things like even health and safety regulations in the first trimester are banned by this constitutional amendment. That's wild. They wouldn't even need to go to a medical doctor. Right. It takes away the ability for the state to place a requirement to say, you know, at least the abortion, if, if you're going to have an abortion, has to be done safely by a medical doctor. The state couldn't even do a regulation like that. It, that's wow. how extreme this is. And, I, you know, part of the reason for that, I think, is because so much of the abortion industry these days ha have moved into chemical abortions. And so they just want to be able to ship these abortion pills very unsafely, by the way, to any mother who, you know, finds a link on Twitter or Facebook to obtain mm -hmm. these pills. Very dangerous for mothers. So they're circulating petitions now. Right. They're circulating petitions right now. Um, and I've seen their signs are quite disingenuous. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's an understatement. You know, we've we've seen signs where they're circulating petitions and they call their measure pro-life and pro-family. And that's what they'll do. And they will mislead the public. And so, you know, pro-lifers in the state of South Dakota, don't be complacent and don't think that this can never happen here because it's South Dakota and we are a pro-life state and we are a pro-life state. But uh, we see these uh, pro-choicers, not just in South Dakota, but across the country. They have millions of dollars and they will spend it to mislead the public. They're already misleading the public on this measure and mm -hmm. the scope of the measure and everything that it would do. And so pro-lifers from all across the state of South Dakota really needs to sort of wake up, realize that if we do nothing, they will, um, they will mislead the public into supporting this measure. And so we need to get out there and uh, defend life and defend these mothers. It, it strikes me that uh, folks really need to understand what they're signing before they sign a petition. It's, it's, there's, a, there's a nice guy attitude. Yeah. Like, okay, I'll sign your petition. It's like you're, you're signing a legal document and you don't even know what's on it. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, you know, the petition circulators aren't out there saying, hey, go ahead and um, read this over real quick and then sign my petition. Right. That's not what they're doing. Right. Instead, like like I just shared with you, they're saying things like, this is a pro-life, pro-family measure. Go ahead and sign. And why are they coming here to South Dakota to do this? You know, South Dakota is generally regarded as a place where there's um, easy access to the ballot. It's relatively cheap media market. So these outside groups like to come into South Dakota as sort of a testing ground. Outside money. That's right. And undoubtedly, there will be tons of outside money that flow into this one as well if they make it on the ballot. And um, so... Well, it's coming in now just to circulate a petition. Yeah, that's true as well. Yeah. 
And so I think what they what they want to be able to do is show, oh, hey, look at this. We got this radical um, abortion through nine months mm-hmm. law written into the South Dakota Constitution, ruby red South Dakota mm-hmm. with Christy Noma as the governor and all the statewide elected officials being Republican. And if we can do that in South Dakota, we can do it anywhere. And so if these if, circulars are being paid, they're being well paid. Yes. If you think back to the original South Dakotans who put this initiative and referendum process into place, I, I think that they were thinking this would be a grassroots mm-hmm. sort of process. They never people, imagined this. No, definitely not. I mean, I think they were thinking about people from all over the state circulating these petitions voluntarily because mm-hmm. something needed to change. Yeah. It's not this. Now this is a big money game where outside money comes in. They fund these petition circulators very well. They pay them to go get the signatures, and then you're on the ballot. And uh, we've seen it before, and we're seeing it today on this one, too. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, so last thoughts. What, do, what are your last thoughts here since we're going to close up this podcast soon? Well, I would encourage everybody to decline to sign this abortion petition and uh, tell all your friends and relatives and everybody that you associate with, your, your uh, any sort of civic groups or your churches, Tell everybody that you know to decline to sign that radical abortion petition. And I think if pro-lifers work together, encourage people to decline to sign and to resist that extreme abortion amendment, we can defeat that and keep South Dakota pro-life state. So everybody, I would just encourage you to decline to sign that radical abortion petition. A call to action. Well, thanks for being on. Thank you. All right. Great chatting with you, man. See you.